the people that are closest to you know, the, the relationships with customers or your third-party suppliers might know better than if you're stuck in a boardroom all day. Flip the old hierarchy pyramid, uh, making sure that it's really team-led. Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people, and frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails, and we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com slash cruise. That's benleads.com slash cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. Today, I have for you Hannah Schuberk, who is CEO of Nate AB, whose vision is to provide environmentally friendly hygiene products to babies and mothers throughout the world. She's also served as a senior leader over at Axe Beauty House, Hinkle, Johnson & Johnson, and Procter & Gamble. And Johanna is from Sweden, the most sustainable country in the world. Johanna, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you, Ben. Awesome to be here. Yeah, y'all can hear from her cool accent that she is from Sweden, of course. And uh, she's the first CEO we've had from Sweden. So this is a big moment for Lead the Team. And so what do you think of the rest of the world can learn about leadership from Sweden? Ah, well, that is an awesome introduction. Well, I think the one thing that Swedish people do well is uh, consensus, making hmm. sure that everybody's on board. Okay. Sometimes we do it a little bit too well, but that's also okay. So then we can learn from other markets uh, and countries on how to maybe be a little bit more decisive. Fantastic. I can see consensus being a great leadership trait. It can slow you down. Mm. But sometimes that's a good sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, when you and, and since you've worked with a lot of international companies, do you feel like you sort of bring that consensus making element to American-based companies and uh, and whatnot, or do you try to hold back a little bit on that? I think that nobody yeah. that worked with me would say that I hold back a lot, so I couldn't say that would not be fair. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that I grew up in American companies. My first employee was Gillette. That was acquired by Procter. Then I worked mm -hmm. at Johnson. So for me and my leadership style, for sure, I am quite American prone in results focus. And I've learned a lot from that. Uh, execution focus from Gillette, for example, is massively fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
what I say is, is Swedish is probably that for sure when you grow up here, you have it sort of in you. It's part of your culture. But in Sweden, they wouldn't say I'm so Swedish. No, like oh, you're you're bringing your American business sentiment, right? And, you know, to, <laughs> uh, to that. Well, so how does it manifest itself, this, this consensus building at work? Like, how do you see it in your, in your company today? Well, I think in most Swedish companies, we do have a heavy meeting structure. In order to get the consensus right. and that everybody gets heard, it means mm-hmm. that we do have meetings where we share information, we do the discussions, sometimes lengthy, sometimes uh, less lengthy. But I would say it's it's uh, it's time that we invest. Mm. But on the other hand, when you have everybody on board, you know, then you can really accelerate. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's easier if people get aligned because they want to participate versus they have to participate. And I think in general, a lot of times, leader makes a decision in American companies, and then our job is to get everybody aligned to that decision. And mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from a Swedish perspective, you strive to get that alignment before the decision's made. And so when awesome. you make progress, there we go together. I say that together is absolutely a term that we use often. Uh, and I think together we can do things. We are stronger together. So alone is not so strong. When's the time that your consensus making skills came into play and, and it really helped help move things forward? Hmm. I would say I don't think of it so often because it's just there. It's in the backbone. Okay. Um, yeah. And I would also say that still worked most of my time in the American companies, had two twice in in Swedish companies and one German company. So for our hierarchy has always been there to me. Mm-hmm. What I think is the biggest difference when I'd say consensus came in for me personally, it was at my time in Henkel, but I think it's also about the timing we are in with workspace. Understanding that, you know, the people that have the ears on the rails that are closest to, you know, the the relationships with customers or your third party suppliers, understanding that they might know better than if you're stuck in a boardroom all day. Mm. So I think that understanding that you have to flip the old hierarchy pyramid, uh, making sure that it's really team led. I think that sort of happened to me sometimes around 2018-ish. Yeah. And what did you notice when... You started seeing the hierarchy in a flipped manner. When you get leaders at the top who really do sort of enable the team and listen to the team, and mm-hmm. they don't need to be at the highest level in the company, they can be in, in the middle. That's when you see magic happens. And I think I was exposed to being responsible for the whole Nordic region and you know working in a company that is global, which is a massive challenge being globally responsible for, for companies of that size, but meeting individual leaders that really made that difference, that took you know the local mm-hmm. understanding found the synergies and enabled and let the team run. And thanks to being exposed to that, you know, me and my team running the Nordic business, we could deliver results that we hadn't before. Mm. So cool. Mm. Yeah, I, I see that. I mean, it's nice to think about how the, how the culture of your country can positively impact global organizations if we're willing to really check under the hood and see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And not just sort of getting this microcosm of it's our way or the highway. And it sounds like you've been successful in blending 
your Swedish culture and influence with American style business too, and coming up with a great combination, obviously in your career, been a rock star on this front. Now, what has been your biggest moment of leadership growth? Well, I think it was when I really learned to lead myself. Uh, so my absolute biggest one, I think that, and I think the first big shock of having poor leadership for the first time, uh, I experienced my least good and my absolute best leadership experience during Johnson Johnson. Yeah. So I basically uh, had been spoiled with absolutely brilliant leaders up until then. And that was fairly late in my mm. career. Most people have it earlier. Uh, and I realized what happens to people when they don't have clarity, what happens to me energy-wise mm. when you don't focus on what you're there for, you don't focus on the job because you focus on trying to understand what's going behind, you know, what's going on behind the radar. Do I need to prepare something uh. different? You know, what way is the wind blowing this day? And having had been exposed to that and basically sitting down and like, I have to get out of this situation. And I learned that, you well, you have three choices. Either you accept it or you change it, or you leave it. I have a fair amount of grit, so leaving it or just accepting it would not be an option as a first choice. Uh, so I went for change it, and that worked um, at the cost of energy. Uh, I managed to get on another leadership, and I had the best leadership experience in my career. A brilliant person called James Mounter. He's still in Johnson Johnson. Get him on the pod. He's amazing. Okay. Um, he basically is... Super clear on clarity, very human. And in the end, if principles and values don't match for your own principles and values, you cannot really be coached back to making it work. Um, mm -hmm. You need to be sort of where you make sure that you feel that you belong. So being in a context of that was my biggest learning. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because when you're not clear on the direction things are headed, you are spending a lot of time making up stories or thinking about mm. stories or playing what if chess games and nothing, nothing wrong with chess, but it requires a lot of mental energy. <laughs> like you're trying to predict two steps ahead of what your boss is going to do or what this group's mm. going to do. And for leaders that don't recognize that your, your team's wasting way too many time, too much time and resources. Now I'm curious oh, yes. from your perspective, working in such huge, a huge organization like that, a lot of people aren't clear, but the clarity may not be given three, four steps above them or in the organization. What's your insight around if you're not getting clarity as a leader and say you're leading a team of maybe 20 people or so, but the clarity is not coming down from three or four above. So you're kind of got to, mm -hmm. you've got to manage the lack of clarity from above and then you got to manage it with your team. And then you do. I think it's also sometimes you just have to create it. When it's not given, you need to create it. Mm -hmm. I think also have the ability to see structuring chaos. That's also creativity. Uh, so nice. I think, you know, being able to do that and give that framework to your team is highly important. So if leadership isn't there, you step up and you represent it. Nice. Yeah, give clarity even when you're not exactly clear. I think that is a, that's, an, that's an overlooked leadership skill. What did you do to foster this in yourself, or is this just something innate to 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 Johanna's way of being? 
<laughs> well, I think it's, it's probably double-sided. Throughout the years, I've sometimes been asked, like, where does your drive come from? And I've learned throughout the many 360s I've been through, through the interviews for recruitment with psychology, mm -hmm. etc., and tests and you know, assessment centers, that it's part of my personality to have this drive. So trust that inner compass. I think most of us actually have that, you know, dare to trust yourself, you know, follow that mm -hmm. intuition that is there ask for help if it cannot be provided where you are, you know, have a mentor. Uh, I have reverse mm. mentors because, you know, for sure you need to stay on top of the, the tech part. And uh, Reverse mentor meaning? Meaning being mentored by somebody who's actually uh, not yet at the higher level. So, okay. so being reversed by somebody who's younger and highly likely more technically competent in AI, for okay. example. All right. Tell me more about that. So what, when you go about reverse mentor or finding a reverse mentor, what are you looking for? How are you thinking about it? Well, for me, I took a, my first reverse mentor, uh, or she took me on, I should say. Uh, she was recommended she to me, me by <laughs> she took me on by a colleague, uh, and in the end, uh, we started talking about. I wasn't really sure in the early digitalization days that all those no's I was getting internally was really no's because I would there must be a way. Sometimes you just need to understand that you can find a solution, but maybe you're looking mm. from it from the wrong angle. And I needed to broaden my perspective. So I had a recommendation on who could help me on that. So I met with a beautiful um, woman called Alexandra Rabi, and she took me on. And I threw business problems at her. And can can this technically be facilitated? Mm. And of course, uh, she was also not only a business savvy, she's also a coder. And she said to me, no, for sure that can be resolved. And it made me further believe in doing some changes, mm. uh, you know, giving old structures a bit of a go. So is this someone inside your company or this someone outside the company? <laughs> she was outside my company oh, when no, we okay. started. Uh, I recruited her to the team later and she was kind enough to come. And now I wow. just stay in contact because she's awesome. That, that's cool. I think leaders often think about getting coaching, mentoring from people that have been there, done that, exactly what they're doing. And what I like about what you're saying is you're, you're getting someone closer to the action in the field where you want to grow. They don't have to have been working for 30 years to be there. In fact, no. they may only be working for a few years. And it's cool. <laughs> you're like, hey, this is working out pretty well. I need to recruit her into the organization. Mm. That's kind of a cool that was job. Exactly what happened. But I also believe that I was working in, you know, one of the biggest and best CPG companies. And then you do get all the other things. You get all the, uh, the classroom trainings, you get the programs. So I was spoiled to already have that structure. And I wanted, you know, different angles to find new ways. Yeah, something for, I think it's a great strategy for leaders to consider, especially planning their own personal development plan. It always mm -hmm. cracks me up when, a Fortune 1000 company is sitting there making everybody do their personal development plans, but the executive team does not have one. And it's like, hey, we've already developed ourselves. We're running the company. No, you need to develop even more now because there is AI. There are things coming and it needs to be even more specific. People like, I mean, like it seems like technical skills and then is like for sort of lower level leaders. Then they give them sort of general leadership principles. And then we get to the top again. A lot of times they go super general. But what I'm hearing from you, and I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've benefited from some very targeted, super specific learnings as an executive versus mm. staying broad in your development. 
I think yes, and I think that that's been my personal development plan. What I've been catered with from the massive, fantastic companies I've worked in, you know, my employers have always been very generous in supporting my growth plan. So I think, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm very grateful for I could do that as well because I already had all the other stuff. I think that's important because the structures you gain working in the big CPG companies is amazing. It's a fantastic school. Yeah, I mean, you've worked for some, from some massive brands in the consumer space. I mean, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hinkle, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, you said Gillette. And these companies know about developing large, large workforces. I'm curious from your mm-hmm. standpoint, what's been one of the more memorable development or trainings that you've had and, and what made it so helpful? I think some of the early trainings, Gillette was acquired by Procter & Gamble, and that was, you know, living through an acquisition for the first time for me. It was talked about as it was so successful, Mm. but that was my first one. I learned later how it could not be as uh, well planned. But what was cool is that uh, in Procter, they gave trainings, very, very basic trainings, like Mm. coaching for everybody. And I still refer to it because the number one building block in able to get coaching and you know, to work within the companies that principles and values need to match mm-hmm. for you, know, you as an employee and the employer. If they don't match, it's very difficult to go further. Uh, and I think back about it quite often. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's so fundamental, but I love that training, which also included as a second level cascading choices. Because I think for me in the end, like mm. we all have so much to do. There's always more things to do than you can fit in your daily schedule. So staying focused on, you know, top priorities is something that I've carried with me throughout the years. You know, the the, the people that I'm happy to have on my teams, they quickly learn that I have top three meetings. In every mm. way, there's always a top three focus. And it's to make sure that we stay focused on our highest priority. Mm-hmm. Top three meetings, meaning... Well, well, walk me through when you say a top three meeting. If I were to visit that meeting, what what would I say? Uh, when I sit down, like with the native management, on every Tuesday, nine o'clock, we do um, native management meeting, and the first agenda point is go through the table and just ask what's the top three priorities in your team currently, and share between the functions. So we get an understanding of what's going on. And it's not those massive, big projects. It can be anything from a consumer complaint we need to handle, but it's important. It can be a process. Uh, IT, it can be a system. So whatever it is, and it will it will differ, but it keeps us really, really focused and also builds an understanding of what operationally as well as strategically goes on in the other function in my team. So we get very synchronized. And also somebody's priority might shift as we learn about the problem in another function that we all have to support. You can learn so much about a company and different teams by just knowing their top three priorities. No doubt. Absolutely. And what a great snapshot to run your company because you may not know all the breakdowns happening in the process. And by looking at their top three, it's going to help you. And also, I think sometimes you may have to say, well, is that really your top three? Because you just heard from this other group that this is happening. (laughs) And then they tie off. And also it goes for me. I might have an idea on what's the priorities. And then I learned that something is going on in the team and I need to refocus. So I think also it's it's a give and a get. Yeah, so good. The only time, or I'll say the, the time when the biggest yelling match ever broke out in a training that I was leading was when... I was working a team and we started talking about prioritizing. 
And they had not been having the a, a top three style meeting. And then they found out people were working on it. And they're like, what are you doing working on that when we have this? And they didn't understand what was important to each group. And they definitely didn't understand what was important to the senior executive. So that was a good, it worked out well. They all figured it out. Yeah, after they it yeah but, and you need to know. So what's going yeah. on and also what happens after a top three meeting, it's taken that into the function. So the function head will take the top three to their team. So we sort of, we get it cascading. Yeah, I, so it's continuous. I love it. I love it. Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand, and share your leadership message? Then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts that have Netflix accounts, and one-third of the U.S. population listens to podcasts regularly. So your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com slash schedule. That's benleads.com slash schedule. So a twist in your story is you're in CPG mega brand land and you could have hung your hat climbing the, you know, the fortune 50 CPG ladder. Mm. And he said, no, I'm going to go into smaller world and build the, build a brand new brand well, relatively brand new brand mm -hmm. over at Nate. Uh, what has that transition been, been like? Why'd you do it? And, and what have you discovered in that process? Well, I think I'm I'm so excited about going into Nati. Uh, Nati is owned by the Humble Group. And when you go on Humble Group's website, you see that it's really a group that is led by sustainability and wellness. It's only about three years old. And the founders of the company are really young entrepreneurs. Uh, but they are so smart. They are so brave. And I think it's, for me, so exciting to work for a team of people mm -hmm. and individuals that are super skilled. And they are also quite uh, courageous because mm -hmm. the ambition mm -hmm. is to become the next big CPG company. So it's actually challenging all the established ones. And I think it's part of that insight that I had a few years ago about, you know, when the, the pyramid is shifting. Um, it also goes for consumers because... You know, we buy on shelf or we trust what is on shelf, but sometimes we just need to be better served. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the mission that uh, the Humble Company is on in AT is quite awesome because it's also in line with my own private purpose questions. So sustainability and diversity. So for me, it's very fulfilling to be able to be part of this. It seemed like a really gutsy move because mm -hmm. you're competing like you know what you're up against. You don't have the rose colored glasses on. Like, hey, you know, we can easily compete with a $20 billion company with our brands. I'm like, we've been around for three years versus 100 years. And you jumped in there. Mm. So it's the sustainability and believing in the mission and the... Absolutely. Getting passionate. But I think also having, having worked in, in CPG for so long and also knowing that, you know, most of my time has been spent in sort of the non-food area with the sort of chemistry-based products. And I think we are all fairly aware of, you know, climate crisis, what is going on. But, you know, what we put in us and on us is also affecting our health and learning, working in the bigger corporations on, you know, we've had some we have some scares over the years. You know, the parabens is quite old now, but it, it happened. There's been other ingredients in other products that has proven to be not so healthy for humans. So I think 
health and sustainability to be part of that agenda. It, it, you have to be on it. You can't say no. Do we have strong competitors? Absolutely. But we also have a quite interesting thing is that there is a movement going on in many, many markets where you see that the green is moving. So there are more smaller companies that are supporting it. Mm. So it's, 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 I love it's it. Grow and it's, it's grow. I want to see that happen. I think everyone wants to see that happen. But it's a long road because you're still up against so many. I mean, I, I think certainly in Europe, they're further along in accepting this. Like, hey, I may pay a little more for this, mm-hmm. but it's better for my health. It's better for the environment. It's just, you know, they're willing to to pay more, more money, I think, for a longer term result, uh, longer term positive result. And I think the minds are changing from what I'm seeing here, especially with me and, you know, my community that I'm rooting for y'all in terms of making this happen. So diving into your background, you say that you've developed, quote, a passion for the consumer businesses in the grocery store aisles in the U.S. Mm -hmm. as a child in the 80s. Oh, yes. What's the story there in the 80s? In the 80s, uh, my family, we traveled a lot to the U.S., thanks to my dad's business. Uh, so we spent a lot of time, you know, in the 80s, Sweden is a, you know, back from a socialist country, right? So you didn't really have that much choice in the grocery stores. Mm. Walking down the cereal aisle in the 80s in the U.S., you know, as a child, it offered so much variety. You know, honey loops didn't exist in Sweden. We still had a social TV. You had cable. So mm. for me, it was choice that is quite cool uh consumer goods fantastic mm. and it was just a dream and also for sure toys R us going into store you know in sweden you might be happy to have one barbie i could have a choice of 50 uh so it, it it's a child's dream come true in the 80s to see that and for me it sparked something mm. and i went to my first cpg company it was gillette a company that you know did it by the book so i think that for me like that was a coming full circle but I loved spending time in the U.S. and on vacations, traveled a lot. We traveled to, I think, almost every state. I have not been to Alaska, Hawaii, so I need to go back and do those. Yes, you do. But you've been to more states than me. So I've been to those <laughs> too, but I'm missing a lot. It, it does say a lot and so I, you know, about you and your family growing up that you did fly around, made, made travel a priority. What do you think traveling at such a young age other than inspiring you to get into CPG, affected how you view the world? Well, I'm very grateful to have traveled. Uh, we also traveled Europe. So I've seen, seen a lot uh, uh, during that period of, uh, of my life. And I still love traveling, going to new places. Uh, but I think it makes you a little bit more open um, to see, you know, people are different. Culturally, we are also different. And that's why I'm very passionate about diversity. Because if you share mm. the same principles and values, you know, being a little bit different in your group and bringing different things to the table mm-hmm. will help you. It will open your eyes and you will get new context. Uh, and I think it's really, really cool to learn from others in that sense. Well, yeah. I haven't traveled. I've traveled a decent amount, not as much as you, but I tell you, I, I've really picked up on that too. And we try, we try to do that as a family. It, and it is, it is a luxury, mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. to some degree. But it's also going back to your top three priorities that you use with your team. I think it's interesting to kind of apply that to your family mm-hmm. and to consider for the lead for the leaders listening, you know, 
what's what are the top three with your family too? And when you apply that to your family, what comes up uh, for you as a leader, you know, being a leader and executive and having kids who are really active out in the world doing sports and what and whatnot? Mm-hmm. How, how do you sort of process it all? I think as the the key quote is manageable guilt. <laughs> And basically, you know, (laughs) I think manageable guilt is one of the best advices you can get to people who are either working dual careers, as me and my partner are doing, uh, my husband, or Mm -hmm. if you just have too much on the plate. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, I'm a mother to my kids. Uh, I'm a a boss. I'm a friend. I'm a wife. There's so many roles that we have. Um, It's very difficult to be 100% on all of them all the time. But if you sometimes you need to overinvest, maybe there's a project at work or you currently have a career step where you have to overinvest your time in order to, you know, get things done. Um, Likewise, with your family, you know, you have to invest back if you weren't present for some time and then you need to pull Mm -hmm. back. So manageable guilt means that you need to manage that you are coming short on some areas over time. And then you have to give back. It's like in a bank account. You just don't, you you need to put in as well, not only take out. Yeah, I haven't quite heard it. Put like that, but it really, I would say, guides work-life balance. It's a really active way to think about balance. Like, hey, I've been really balanced on work right now, getting to this project, this presentation, and then beginning to sort of over over index more in the family side and trying to make it all work. And the trick is, I think, not getting overwhelmed in the process. <laughs> yes, and also finding, you know, how do you create more hours on your day? There's only one way to do that, and that is to take support. And also, the me and my husband always said that one of us will be at the dinner table, uh, hopefully both, but sometimes uh, it had to be one. Um, and I think, you know, finding that, and that's okay, uh, giving yourself a little bit of slack. Yeah, I like that. And managing the guilt, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, we can have a support team, and you apply the principles of leadership and probably looking for house cleaners or repairs or you know, if you're an executive, the higher up, you know, you can say, well, I don't want to make that sacrifice, but you can find ways to make it work. If you want to bring your focus and creativity uh, to mm-hmm. the situation to make it all work. So starting to wind this up and Joanna, I mean, I didn't get to, I don't even think I got to half my questions today. So we have to do this again. What's your parting thought for our listeners? You can kind of take it, maybe choose your own adventure, a more personal route as a leader. You can talk about an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how it led to your growth, or you mm-hmm. can, you know, feel free to take it in a, in a different direction with what you're up to in sustainability and Nati. So many good choices. I just want, I, I don't, I want all of them. Okay. We'll do them all then. <laughs> we got, we got time. If you got the time, I love it. Uh, awesome. No, I think that I'm I'm extremely passionate about what I do currently, and I think working in the sustainability area is uh, is being on a constant steep learning curve. I can see sustainability that. is so much also about science, and science is a learning area. Uh, you know, we can conclude that this is what it says today. With new information, new clinical studies, something else will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so working in sustainability is extremely exciting because if you want to develop, you can go into the green area. You know, our passion and mission uh, for Nate is to make green mainstream uh, in the areas that we operate. Uh, and what does that mean? So can we can we do? How do we do it? And for sure, if we do it like we do it currently, it will not become so mainstream. 
green raw materials is a scarce resource. Mm -hmm. It's also fairly expensive. Uh, there's an interesting um, sourcing um, going on now with the mass balance, which means that you take what is there and you sort of blend it. And that means that if you check it one diaper and do a test, might be zero in that diaper, but in the next test, you would have a lot. But we promise, I have promised historically, because testing is so important that we can prove that we are green, so there's no greenwashing, uh, that we said that every single item needs to be fully to that quality. Maybe how we do it to have more people access green and be able to do that choice and that it's not actually something that is a financial choice, that we need to work a little bit more on making it mainstream. So... We need more green raw materials. So we are might be up against some of the giant as competitors, but I also see it as number, also we can influence each other and inspire each mm. other that we all need to become more green. Uh, it's not an either or game. It's an also game. I like that. That's a great way for leaders to think about it. And I, I think about some other leaders, um, Ludovic Duplessis from, who's the CEO of Telmont Y or Telmont Champagne and how mm. they're changing the their champagne bottles, which has been something you don't mess with because it's under pressure. But they've been experimenting with glass to maintain the pressure, but putting less glass in there and reducing the packaging re required. And anyway, there there are a lot of leaders out there like you that are, that are really working to make a global impact and still make profit, which uh, mm -hmm. is the is the best of both worlds. <laughs> It is. I got to get you That's all together and have like a super sustainability episode with with uh, Johanna and, and a few other leaders from the show. I think to be a lot of fun. Oh, that'd be amazing. I think we always need to push that envelope and also not make it so complicated. Being green shouldn't be so special, and we need to make sure that it's no not an exclusive club. Yeah, I like that. All right, what's your parting thought for our listeners today, Johanna? Putting the cherry on top of the interview. Well, I think that, you know, do the right thing is also always a message because that come, can become, you know, the twist in your career. Do the right thing. So do it doesn't right become a twist in the career. I love it. Johanna, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Ben, for having me. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to binleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's binleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.